The Creative Trust is a limited podcast series to celebrate 20 years of Gloss Creative. Together with our stellar alumni, we'll share everything we know to be true about the creative process and the business reality of running a small but powerful design platform. Two decades ago, I started Gloss Creative as my creative platform for experimentation and exploration. What has ensued has been an endlessly rewarding creation of ephemeral installations, each one put up, pulled down, each one leaving an enduring mark on its audience. I learned early on that I could make audiences fall in love with environments simply by making them feel and experience something. Memories that lasted long after the physical immersion had gone. It crystallised my long-held belief that your business plan is to harness your unbridled creative force and that creative renewal is your most powerful weapon over time. Welcome to the Creative Trust. The business of creativity. Creativity is the business plan. Business acumen is the tool that allows you to make creativity possible. Your powers are made up of creativity and business skills. Your ability to create strong relationships over time with collaborators, colleagues and clients form a fundamental base for business growth and ultimately for your long creative career. So let's talk about that. And today I'm joined once again by Ross Sabatini, who is the Visual Merchandising Manager, Creative and Innovation Nationally at David Jones. Welcome back, Ross. Thanks for having me back again. I won't give you the embarrassing bio that I gave you <laughs> last time if people want to hear. Once is enough. <laughs> creative process, you can go back and listen to that. But we're so grateful for you to come back and share more gold. There was so much gold dropped in the last episode. Um, we're delighted that you're back. Ross, I've observed you in all kind of work situations and you're always appearing to be so calm and so positive. How has the creative side of you worked with your communication style in a business setting? So I think firstly, you know, I guess I'm not a dramatic creative. You know, you'll never catch me kind of throwing a tantrum or anything like that. <laughs> I can't even imagine that. But I guess I sort of consider myself as a, a problem solver, you know, through creativity. And often I think in businesses that uh, that's recognized, which is which is great. And I think generally, you know, these days businesses understand the role of creativity and instead of being threatened by it they um, value it so I think if I'm feeling valued then that sort of really helps build that level of creative trust as well for for businesses. I also think clarity is is everything and how you express your ideas and how people interpret them is um, yeah is is super important so you have to make sure I guess when you're sharing creative ideas that you understand where your audience is coming from and um, yeah, just make sure that they're interpreting it uh, in in the right way. Kind of yeah, taking them on on that journey is um, yeah is, is really important. And the other thing is, you know, at the end of the day, I remind myself we're, we're not saving lives generally. No, <laughs> and that is such a great thing to keep in perspective in our industry, isn't it? Exactly. So it's it's it's, it's often sort of not worth you know getting that emotionally worked up about it. So yeah, there's that, and also just back to the sort of the clarity thing. I, uh, you know, I've got this tendency at the end of meetings to just kind of sum everything up in in two sentences just so everyone leaves understanding you know what's just happened and where to go through where to go to from from there 
A summary is always good, isn't it? Love a good summary. You know, just yeah. sum it up. One sentence if possible. Yeah, it's a, it's a nice way to sort of uh, end a, um, a, a meeting or, or, or a creative presentation. So, yeah, I, I think and, – and the other thing is, you know, I just really love working with nice people. I think, <laughs> I think that's really important. <laughs> it's everything. Absolutely. So I think uh, particularly at the moment of, um, you know, that, that creative balance within a, a business setting is kind of um, working fairly well. And it's also, you know, the, the people that you work with, well, personally, I know I've, I've made sort of lifelong connections with um, uh, like clients and, and colleagues as well. So it's important that, um, yeah, that you kind of work together and have that approach as opposed to being, a, I'm a creative, you know, you're a whatever, a finance person or a client. And there's that sort of that barrier between you, you know, sort of like to sort of break down those barriers and just kind of bring everyone on, on the journey and, you know, obviously have respect for, for everyone's opinions, no, you know, no matter what they do. And I've noticed that, you know, in our studio and in meetings that you're, I guess maybe it's some kind of inner confidence in a way brings about this calmness and I guess this openness that other people are able to ask you questions or give feedback. I feel like Mm -hmm. you're an open book as Mm -hmm. well in Mm -hmm. the sense of, you know, people can say what they think and, you know, I've seen you take on some pretty rough feedback (laughs) and you always do it with such grace. Um, You know, so I feel like there's this sort of, um, and I call it, when I say lack of ego, it's a really interesting thing. Like I feel like designers have to have ego because they've gotten a creative opinion. But I love it when designers know that there's things beyond where they sit. They understand there's a reason, a brief, a marketing strategy that sits above them and they understand their place within that. Exactly. And yeah. I feel like that gives confidence and a level of calm as well. Totally. Yeah. And it's not about you, you know, it's not about me. Yeah. It's, 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 it's about the work, you know, it's the project and it is, yeah. you know, it is a, a collaboration and a co-creation and all that sort of stuff. And um, yeah. And, and the other thing is I just love, you know, working with people and being around people. And, you know, obviously that's been tricky. I'm doing everything online during, on, mm. uh, during lockdown. How's that been for you? It's been challenging, you know, having creative conversations online isn't ideal and, you know, much like yourself, I love pen, paper, scribbling, you know, I love printouts and cutting things out, sticking them up on the wall and pointing at things and, (laughs) you know, pointing at things is really important Um, (laughs) and it's really hard to do online. So, and and also, um, you know, having a big team. Getting everyone on the on you know on the on the one page and um, you know just from a communications perspective you know there's just there's so many emails and you know providing feedback uh, is always hard online because you know things get interpreted you know a million different ways and you know tone is 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 lost as well so I just can't wait to get back into uh, into the office and be surrounded by real human beings and and that sort of stuff and have the you know have the creativity kind of flow a little bit more naturally I feel like you know it's going to be the silver lining I feel like you know we'll go back into offices for the big collaborative the really energetic stuff and then, you know, the stuff that you need to maybe do your work is at home or it's private and peaceful yeah, and, you exactly. know, so that might be this sort of beautiful new balanced approach which would be 
super duper great. That would be amazing, yeah. Because I, I do love, you know, just the 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 focus that you can have when you you know when you work from home, where you're just in your in your own zone. You can sort of just not not pay attention to any conversations around you, or um, you know, not be distracted by anything like that, and just really focus. Which is, you know, it's it's pretty hard to do that in a in a shared office it's environment. Fair. Yeah, um, get distracted. So yeah, looking forward to getting some of that balance back. Definitely. One of the things that I have noticed from you. Um, you know, like when Steph and Tiff and Luce, obviously, and Jahan and the team, everyone's sort of very calm. You said like, you know, there's no drama. Mm. And I've really appreciated that, you know, especially because sometimes the clients bring the drama. (laughs) (laughs) So, you know, I think this sort of this feeling about everything can be solved, um, you know, breeds a kind of confidence as well you know that if all the process is ticking over beautifully all the necessary stages will be looked at and cared for and that there won't be these you know road bumps along the way that have to be bashed down rather Mm. than walked around sort of thing so I think you know a no drama vibe and I think that comes from people's confidence and emotional intelligence, and that's mm. something that I've talked almost nonstop. You know, this combination of intellect and creativity. I'm interested to hear how you see intellect and creativity working together. Yeah, especially I, in your own style. Yeah, absolutely. And you know, going back to you know the the, the quote that um, I mentioned in um, in the in the last recording was creativity is intelligence having fun. Where yeah. They really are, you know, one and the same thing. It took me, I think it took me a while to to realize that, you know, like art, you know, creativity isn't just frivolous. It actually has a, a real role um, in, in society and also in businesses, you know, the, the creativity um, is just more important than ever. And, you know, with, you know, what we're going through with the pandemic and, you know, it's a adapt and die and you need to be creative and, and agile to sort of, to adapt and keep on reinventing and, and rethinking and, and doing all that sort of stuff that, you know, we're all pretty exhausted by it now, but uh, it is what it is. And I think, you know, without creativity and intelligence, um, yeah, 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 you're pretty screwed. (laughs) But it's it's good that I feel like a lot of creative creative people have both, Mm. you know, I think, I think that's fantastic. So talking, and we're going to talk about, obviously a lot about clients today. So I guess, you know, I talked about the creativity in the business plan being about um, relationships and collaborators Mm. and that sort of thing. I guess one of the things that I've found really interesting is about expectations. Yeah, yeah. I'd I'd, I'd actually love this as a question for you. How how do you manage your clients' expectations? It is a kind of a, a hard thing in a way. You want to please your clients, you know. I mean, that's, you know, you want to evolve what they're doing you want to respond to their brief beautifully but at the end of the day I always say there's only like one thing that can go wrong if you're doing everything right the only thing that can go wrong is a differing of expectations so if you deliver an event or an installation that's not what your client is expecting that's the only time you're in trouble And I feel like I've spent a long time, part of, you know, I guess the best part of 20 years trying to work that out actually. Mm -hmm. So in terms of expectations, I feel like the first thing we do to alleviate that is to see our clients as collaborators. 
I don't see them as selling something. I see them as people who work with us on the project. So I guess managing that is being close to them and talking about the project all the time almost, like they know as much as you know. So it's a, like a, it's a running conversation, isn't it? Totally. Yeah. It's just yeah. an ongoing conversation and they're there at the time when you're making the decisions. They're never far from that. And um, so if you change things, they're understanding why they've changed and they know. And a lot of the time clients then are being asked questions by people, you know, in different areas that might need to go up the chain or along the chain and they need to have that information. So I feel like if you talk to your client as a collaborator, they'll always know that stuff like the graphic designer would like the producer, like the other creatives, everyone knows what's going on. So I guess the first thing with expectations is to manage them all the time mm -hmm. and keep checking them. Yep. I think it's <laughs> pretty important. And it's, it's not to say that you need to be controlling, but it's, it is your responsibility and accountability to understand what's being delivered, both from a creative point of view and from a financial point of view. Once again, it's this creative powers and super business powers that kind of have to come together if you want to be a business owner and a, of a creative agency, which I think is kind of important. If you're seeing your clients as co-creators, there's, there's a new kind of magic there. So I think once again, like we've talked about, keeping the communication style positive, I think is amazing, always positive. And that doesn't mean there can't be negative in there, but you've got to deal with it in a positive way. <laughs> Keep things clear. You know, even the most difficult things can be said if they're said with kindness or with curiosity or with no malice or, you know, I think you can talk about the difficult, difficult stuff if you do it in the right way. And I've seen you have difficult conversations <laughs> and, you know, as I was saying before, you know, when you're presenting in a room, you know, it definitely lifts the spirits. Um, so there's the, the positive side, but then there are those, um, I guess, serious conversations or difficult conversations that need to be had, but you've still got that sort of, um, you know, that, that calm um, uh, approach to it and you are, I guess, bringing uh, everyone on board and sort of getting around to, to understand what the issue is and how you're planning to resolve it. Yeah, do you have any yeah. kind of advice I, on how yeah. to deal with that? Yeah. Well, I think it's getting people to understand that it's evolving you know, um, and there was something actually that Kat said when we did our live together, you know, not to be worried about when things evolve and move and change because that's the nature of what we do. And obviously everyone's really good with change now because we've had two <laughs> yep, years of it. finally used to which, it now. Yeah, which is pretty funny. But I think, you know, after all, the way you conduct yourself is what people notice. You know, how about you go, you know, the way you go about your work and your creative truth and your design style is, I guess, is what they notice, your created works and your clients' achievements for their projects say kind of everything about you, I think. So if you can manage expectations, and I think that's one of the things that's been the hardest thing to learn, you know, yeah. you know, as you said, how do you do the difficult, <clears throat> excuse me, conversations is such a thing to learn. And I think, you know, when I was younger, I would cringe inside and never say anything. But often if you don't speak up and find a way to engage in those conversations, 
things can go awry because you were too scared to mention it. Exactly. And I feel that's, I mean, that's a good secret for any marriage, really, isn't it? <laughs> now we're yep. giving some life advice. Um, so, yeah, I think that's a really important thing. Yeah, exactly. And Yeah, I guess for, and, and for me from being, you know, both from agency side and also sometimes I'm the client as well. So I'll brief um, external agencies as well. So there's always that sort of interesting dynamic and, you know, that for, for me, I, I, I tend to sort of sometimes overbrief just to set the expectation for, for both of us just so I know exactly what I'm, I'm going to, to get back from a starting point, but then also what I can, you know, share with the, the internal stakeholders in, in, in the business sort of thing because there's also that responsibility where, you know, if I'm paying someone to do some work, I need to show the value in that. And also, you know, there's a, there's a bigger picture um, at, at stake at as play. well. So yeah, definitely. Yeah. Um, so how do you educate these clients, I guess? Um, how do you get everyone understanding the process? Good question. I think that is really um, about keeping things fairly simple and keeping it, I guess, yeah, it, it's all about sort of clarity and setting the the intention for for the project from the very start, and you know managing those expect expectations. Um, you got to have uh, clear goals for the project, uh, and obviously you know agree on a timeline and 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 all that sort of stuff. But essentially, uh, you know, if if it's a if it's a new client, often a great thing to do is you know almost like step out your process in the presentation and Definitely. get everyone on board and often I find that people get excited by processes as well yeah. and if they know exactly when you're planning on sharing concept ideas in the development phase and when you know when you're planning on sending it to print or, or whatever whatever it is then everyone can can get on board and um, actually sort of you know the process can be quite joyful as well and you know as you've mentioned it's it's all about integrating the the client into into what you do uh, almost as a co-creator and understanding that you know to a certain extent they're an extension of the team that's so true and yeah. we've done the same when we've been part of billion dollar businesses and we've latched on as a little micro business <laughs> if you like and acted as an extension of their team mm. and vice versa mm. you know and I think that's pretty powerful as well yeah you know? and I think one of the things like you said people love to know the process you know, not everyone's, you know, right brain, the people in the room who are left brain, they're just sitting there at your presentation going, so when's this going to happen? When's it going to be made? When's it going to be delivered? And ultimately, I think if you can explain to your client how the process goes and really get them to understand that you are making it up as you go along, that it is an original work based on their brief and step out some of those key points along the journey that are going to happen. You know, I always, I always, you know, love that discussion that, you know, I'm sure you've seen it when I've come back from a, a meeting or something and I'm like, oh my God, you know, they're, they're not understanding that this has to come off the page and become a real built thing. And, you know, we might have been out on site and they'll say, I thought this was like this. And it's like, no, it's actually like this. Now see that, you know, it's a texture, not just a flat colour. You know, now it's going to be, you know, turning into something real and it will change from the drawing. However, when we do look back, your renders were always <laughs> exactly <laughs> the real thing, which is pretty amazing actually. Yeah. Uh, only better. Yeah. So I feel like you have to be fairly confident with your ideas because those clients are going to take that idea 
and, you know, throw it around their hallways Mm -hmm. and then bring it back to you in some sort of loose uh, form that it was a a while ago, (laughs) sadly. And I feel like it's okay for your clients to see that you don't have all the answers at once. I think that is so key. And them letting you have enough time to solve the ideas or the challenges and if you let them know, look, this is where we're up to. I, I love transparency. Um, you know, I will always tell a client the good, the bad, and the difficult. I have no problem in getting it onto a Zoom and going, we thought this would be like this. Um, actually, we did this last week, um, this really amazing thing that we work out. We actually can't get it through a doorway now. <laughs> Even though we knew what the doorway was, we're like, we really need this to be like this, but then we can't get a forklift in underneath it. And after three or four weeks of like, how do we do this? We actually went, we actually have to redesign this slightly because it's not working. So we just went to the client and said, we need another four or five days because we need to redo this. We need to solve this challenge that we've kind of made of our own doing. And they went, okay, no worries, because they know that we will come back solved. With a solution. And, exactly. and resolved. So yeah. I feel if you educate your client, I think that can, you know, work wonders for you and the, the magic happens. And the other thing I love about educating clients is that they become the ambassadors for your idea. And, you know, in case, in some cases, when we've said, oh, look, we'd really like to do that, but maybe the budget doesn't fit. They've gone and found that money. Mm. They've gone up the chain. They've convinced others that this is a great thing to do and that the return will be worthwhile. And then they've come back and gone, yes, we're going to do it. And that's amazing. And it builds, elevates and gives more meaning to the project. And they act kind of like as ambassadors for the idea. Yeah, I love That's that. incredibly mm-hmm. powerful. And Absolutely. When other people can sort of take on your ideas and really kind of spruik them and, and get really excited about them and sort of make them bigger, mm. bigger and better. Yeah, yeah that's I super exciting. Amazing. Okay, I've got another question, Ross. Out of anyone I know, you have the most varied career. You've worked in both small and large creative teams and companies. What have your creative experiences been in both of or all of the settings that you've had? And what have you learned from these? And how do you think that they've shaped, I guess, what I'd call an impressive career? <laughs> <laughs> all right, that's that's a, a, a big question. So, yeah, I've been, uh, I guess, fortunate enough to have experienced um, a wide sort of gamut of, of creative disciplines over the years. Um, I graduated in... Um, 1997 I think it was so there's uh, a few years under my belt Um, so I have experienced you know working at agencies uh, working in-house at creative teams and also sort of you know being on on the client side of things as well so I'm a curious person so I want to sort of experience everything so I have sort of explored um, lots of um, I guess different avenues on how I can sort of express my creativity so I guess my first job um, straight out of uni was at a place called Flat Henderson Arnold Image Design um, FHA Um, so at the time that was sort of like the biggest uh, design studio in uh, in Australia and we're working on the Olympics and a few sort of massive things like uh, rebranding NAB and and that kind of thing that must have been exciting that was amazing to sort of to be uh, to enter into the world of design at, at a place like that where it was just this this you know incredible studio just buzzing with with people and there were sort of different design teams and um 
you know, I've built great friendships and, and mentors um, still with, you know, the, the people that I worked with back then. And, and I guess what I learned from, from that, um, that first experience was um, the discipline of, of design and branding. You know, you, you learn so much at, at university, but hands-on uh, being a jun- junior designer in this space, you know, worked on um, sort of brand guidelines and, and, and building brands. And there was um, the, 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 the projects were long projects. So you got to sort of really take your time and do things really thoughtfully and there was a level of perfectionism sort of thing in, in at that place which was um, which is amazing how just great is having a grounding like that when you're first starting out that is fabulous I was yeah I'm uh, yeah so lucky and so um, yeah appreciative of, of that sort of moment uh, in in time and then from there I went to a place called spin Commun- communications which was kind of almost spin like was sp- iconic spin was iconic spin was fun it was like the party agency <laughs> Um so that was almost like the opposite of FHA, which, you know, going from a really serious kind of, um, you know, staple of, 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 of brands and having time to work on projects to working at, you know, this um, place, crazy place called Spin, where it was, um, you know, it was design, it was advertising, it was... Um, events You know, too, making... PR. T- yeah, yeah, events, PR. So, you know, I'd work on... It was a really small studio as well. So I'd work on, for example, for, for CUB, I'd design a label for for a new, um, you know, a new brand, whether it was, you know, Sub-Zero or, yeah. or, um, or cool. a beer or something like that. And then from there, you know, from designing the label and the, the packaging, I'd also work on, you know, the, the campaign. So whether it was a TV ad or, a, you know, billboards and all that sort of stuff. And then also I'd work on the event side of things as well. No so wonder it was, you had a good grasp of 3D actually when you came to us. Yeah, it makes complete bit. sense. Yeah, perhaps. Yeah. Um, so it was so much fun. Um, but, you know, the deadlines were crazy. Everything was so fast paced. And, um, yeah, I, I learned how to work quickly there. Yeah, and, and how to work in, a, I guess, a, a small team and how to sort of, you know, do all sort of aspects of, of of a brand so that was yeah really exciting then after that i did a stint in uh in milan working for a design studio called um design room i learned how to work in another language <laughs> that was that oh, was so you challenging can speak italian uh a little bit yeah i mean wow. uh, th- th- it was funny the the i think it was the first or second week when i when i started there the reception uh, the receptionist went out for lunch and just never came back. And so, <laughs> so it was a small studio. So the phone would ring and sometimes I would have to answer the phone and I had to speak Italian. So I was kind of thrown into the deep end. So that was a, a really sort of interesting experience. And the clients like, you know, worked for um, uh, Rinascente, the department store there and and Lint um, Chocolate. So working on, um, yeah, um, on, on packaging again and some in-store and experiences and, and all that sort of stuff. And then after that, I came back... Uh, to, to Melbourne and started up my own creative agency with uh, Bell um, Sembeska or Bell Adjovsky. And that's, of course, where uh, where I met you and um, did um, the, the, the branding with Bell you know, for, for your, um, your business cards and, and all that sort of stuff, designing the website. It's like and- it was a gorgeous little website, actually. It was so ahead, the little black dots that disappeared and that's came up right. with photos. It was really cute. Absolutely. So uh, I guess the main thing I learned from the there was how to run my own business or how to not run my own business. So that was interesting. So there was basically two creatives running a business and we learned after a while, um, you know, we, we had a business mentor put in place and she basically told us that you can't both just be the creatives. You need to really define your roles and, you know, one person needs to focus on the creative 
can both be creatives, but one needs to focus on it and the other one needs to focus on the business side of things. So that was a really uh, a big learning um, curve for me, mm-hmm. but a, a really sort of valuable lesson to, to learn. So it was really about sort of defining my, my skills and kind of figuring out what, what, what I was good at as well. Mm-hmm. And also just learning how hard business is, you know, it's, it's hard to make money. Mm. Uh, in the creative field so so that was amazing um after that i I did some um, freelance stints um you know across melbourne and sydney working at design studios advertising places did a little stint at a freelance stint at vogue but then i was also you know working on train timetables and stuff like that so you know i kind of still love that mix of you know doing a bit of glamour but then also doing the really sort of functional stuff so i guess you know diversity in work um is what i kind of got out of freelancing learning how different design studios and businesses operate as well but then for me there was a a bit of a sense of sort of isolation as a as a freelance designer you're often just kind of working on your own and i really love being part of a team so party um, yeah yeah, exactly (laughs) i also did um some sessional lecturing on branding at rmit which again was kind of like a a a sort of a moment in my career where i kind of learned a lot about myself i think when you have to stand up in front of you know 100 people and and talk you sort of question yourself you know why are all these people here and why am i (laughs) why are they listening to me (laughs) why are they listening to me you know because you're the expert Um, so that was, yeah, a really interesting, uh, um, experience. Then of course, of course, you know, working with you for, yeah, I guess off and on since, I don't know when, I guess since we met in, um, 2006 and that's really where, you know, working on 3d experiences was, uh, you know, a, a massive, uh, uh, learning for, for me there. But the best thing I think I'd learned from, uh, working with you, Amanda and the, and the gloss team was how to create a mood and how to design by feel and whether that's I don't know. It could be the the feminine energy in the room because it was always, you know, I was usually the only boy, only, only guy. <laughs> so being surrounded more by yeah by female energy, and also you know sometimes you need to let go of overthinking concept and focus more on how you're going to make your audience feel. So just making sure that there's uh, going to be a connection with the feel. And what do you want the space to to feel like? You know, I think that was a massive learning for me and has really helped um, my creative process and, and, and my work. So mm. thank you for that. No, no and I think I, I feel the same way. I, I learned the same lesson from my boss, Ernst Joost, and he would, we'd design a window and he'd pull us all out at the front of that window and he'd say, what does the customer see? What does the customer feel like when they're looking at this window? And everything he did in store, when we're setting up things, he'd always say, come back and have a look from the, always from the perspective of the viewer. And I think that's how I learned that same lesson from someone just saying, you know, always thinking from the end user, you know, which I guess comes sort of circles back nicely to see the end first and what is the customer, the audience going to experience and feel exactly. as well yep. you know that's, I feel that's definitely a part of it and I, I do feel I mean you've described an incredible just right there an incredible career history where all of this diverse experience still going <laughs> <laughs> yeah oh yeah you're just you're warming up um you know and obviously now at David Jones what a huge opportunity as well there so yeah, you know that's amazing still still going I've got a few a few <laughs> more moments in there yeah we want to um, hear it all 
So then after that, I um, decided to sort of take a leap and work in an in-house creative team at, yeah, at, at, at a major retailer um, as a head of design there. And that was what I learned there was how to manage a, a big team. So that was, you know, a big working experience, uh, a big um, experience for me. And also, you know, the first time I was kind of on the client side of thing and understanding what actually goes in a brief before it goes to the agency. This was kind of a huge learning for me because I never, you know, being a creative, I'd receive briefs, but never actually appreciated the work that goes into it and all the, you know, all the collection of information and all the stakeholders that need to be appeased internally that, you know, that you're answering this brief for. So I think, yeah, I, I, I've learned to really respect clients and, and, and the briefing process um, through that, which is great. And look, the better the brief the better the better the work yeah, yeah i always say that totally. yeah absolutely and then um yeah one more before we hit david jones is um i worked for cleminger bbdo um, for a while as well and what i loved about um that working for for their for for cleminger is the importance placed on creativity there so i learned about creativity um strategy and insights there was a, an incredible um insights team strategic team that would just pull out all these amazing bits of information that really helped you uh, answer the creative brief in in amazing ways and when I started they had just won you know millions of, of global uh, advertising awards for the TAC Graham campaign which is that collaboration they did with uh, Patricia Piccinini where they created wow. that sort of almost beast of a man that was all about you know this is what you need to to be built like if you if you're if you are to survive a, you know, a car crash. Wow. So they had just come off that, you know, a high of winning those awards and um, yeah, creativity is really sort of is, is, is kind of revered there. And it's almost like the creatives ruled the school, you know, so in a, in a big business like great. that, um, that was, that was pretty cool. Um, you know, lots of great parties there as well. Uh, <laughs> and then, yeah, at, at David Jones uh, as head of VM creative innovation, again, you know, creativity is really revered at David Jones, which is probably the most exciting thing for me. And so, you know, things like, you know, there's time management, there's, you know, the, the, the reality of retail, especially going through, mm. you know, lockdown and, all that sort of stuff, but also working across multiple disciplines is, um, yeah, is, 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 is amazing. So also sort of the importance of planning ahead, you know, we've already got our Christmas 2022 concept lockdown. Beautiful. So kind of, um, I guess bringing everyone on board, um, and having, you know, all those stakeholders around you that you, you know, working really closely with. And again, you know, I, I love being a sort of a, a, a caretaker of, uh, an iconic brand and working with, you know, the marketing team, the events team, the, the merch teams and, you know, all, all, all those plus external agencies and, you know, you get to, to work with some really talented people. So that's, um, yeah, so that's pretty exciting. That's, wow! Uh, I think that's <laughs> twenty-three years summed up in uh, in a few minutes. There, <laughs> it's incredible. What a an amazing training ground. I yeah. guess it's it is that nice moment where you feel like you know you have enough experiences that it colours and forms you know who you are as a creative and what you're doing. And there is that sort of nice you know moment where you feel you've had enough of that to power you through mm. what you need to get through that you've got that backing of all the experiences that you've had good and bad exactly. and it just it i think 
these things help to define your purpose as a creative as well? You know more what you want to do and what you don't want to do? Absolutely. And, and funnily enough, you know, the more I think about what I do now at David Jones, it, it really is a combination of everything I've, I've learned over, over, the, over the years. So mm. it kind of, mm. yeah, I didn't realise it, but, you know, everything, all those little aspects that have kind of just gone through that, uh, you know, they've learned from all those, whether it's a small agency, whether it's internal or, you know, even a bit of lecturing kind of all comes into play with, with what I do on a, on a daily basis. So that's, mm. yeah, that's really rewarding for me. Amazing. I guess one of the things I wanted to talk about, it's something that we, you know, talk about a lot and that's simplicity mm. um, within our business. I guess, you know, a lot of the stuff that we do sometimes feels quite complex. You know, when we, when we look at all that creative process, you know, that we did in the last episode, it's a lot. It is a lot. <laughs> there's a lot of moving parts. <laughs> when you write parts. it down, yeah. Yeah, there's a lot of moving parts to what we do. And in our roles, you know, we're pulling disparate threads together to sort of make it something. And one of the ways that I've been able to not be overwhelmed is to have simplicity through everything we do at Gloss. So for me, I feel like. Um, we're agile and light and because we're small we can and simple we can punch above our weight as I said by you know latching on to other big brands dreams I guess <laughs> which is great but one of the things I love to do is break complexity down to its simplest forms um, you know so things can be solved and I, I feel like that's something you know in in our back of house you know we use zero and, um, you know, Albina Azzolini, you know, has worked with us on the financial side of our business for most of those 20 years, maybe 16 of them or something. And, you know, as a creative operator doing a small business, you often think about, okay, how am I going to pay the tax? How am I going to do everything? And I feel what I did early on was get help for the stuff that I wasn't interested or couldn't do or yeah. wasn't, I didn't have the skills to do. And bring people on board who could do it, but also then give it the time. So, you know, Albina came, comes into our studio once, or not at the moment, she's on Zoom, <laughs> um, but, you know, once a fortnight for 20 years. And it just meant, you know, we'd sit and talk about, you know, moving cash flow around and what need to happen, who need mm. to be paid and all of that sort of stuff. And then it had just happened. So it let, I was able to concentrate on the work that I was doing. So that was that side of the business relaxed, simple, yeah. easy. Yeah. We made, t there was a bit of structure there. So that structure often can make things simpler for you, gives you the time, the goal, the date. And often we'll put dates in a diary and just work to that. So we try and break things down, have a really simple process, even with our financials, we don't overcomplicate things and transparency with our clients helps simplicity as well. Um, you know, we explain how we make our money to people so they're not sitting across the table wondering how we're making it. We tell them up mm -hmm. front, which is great. And I guess, you know, we're striving for quality, you know, of, of work with everything we do. And ultimately renewal comes from our clients coming back to us, you know, knowing that we're going to bring the newness. And I guess this consistency that we have and that's brought about by the simplicity because we can just keep repeating it. So having all of that processing being very simple, I feel supports our creative vision. 
So simplicity, whether it's in design, unpacking complexity, I think is something that's huge um, for us. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, yeah, totally agree. Simplicity is kind of a bit of a way of life for me, you know, whether it's yeah, from a financial perspective and all that sort of stuff. I feel like if I start getting into that territory where I don't understand, then I sort of don't really want to play in, in that territory. <laughs> so keep it simple. And I sort of, you know, I love what you're saying about you've almost kind of recognized where your your strengths are and where you need support. So where you do need support, you've, you've kind of identified, you know, like a p- particular person who is the expert in that field yeah. and you have that time with them and, and that's, you know, and that's, that's really good. And I, mm. I've heard you say before, you know, you're always so happy to pay her invoices <laughs> yeah. because it's, um, yeah, it, it's the, the the problem. She's solved the problem for you and that means mm-hmm. you're, you're happy to, to hand over the, the money for it. So, yeah, and I can, yeah. it's my favourite spend. Yeah, exactly. That's, <laughs> and that's I can concentrate quote. on, you know. On what you're good at. The dreams, yeah. I guess, yeah. Exactly. Yeah, it's true, it's mm-hmm. true. And I'm also interested, and as part of the conversation about having business, one of the things that... Um, I talk about is managing your creative powers. Mm. And I feel like one of the things that I learned fairly recently, like in the last five years, uh, as a member of the Design Institute of Australia, I'd always heard them talk about say no to free pitching, which in architecture, sometimes interior, certainly in events um, and sometimes in advertising, Definitely in advertising yeah. is a thing. Yeah. And I had this experience um, from a very large shopping centre where they asked us to pitch over two years probably five different designs for projects and then we can say we've got the amazing project for you and so we'd do the creative work and then we wouldn't get the job mm-hmm. and this went on like five times and I realised, wow, "Wow, we've spent about $20,000 doing these pitches and we're still not getting any work. So I thought, this is crazy. I've got to come up with a better system. How am I going to work out this free pitching thing? Because it's actually not right to give your work away. It's your currency. So I feel like there's this new understanding about that, you only give your creativity away when you're engaged to do so, mm-hmm. when you have a purchase order number. And how do you talk to a client about what you might do for them without actually doing the job? So, you know, that's something that I've really worked on. And I think one of the things I've been able to do is give what I call an approach. It's like, here's a two page, if we did your work, this is the way we would go around it based on your brief. Mm. And, you know, I've become very adept to having the difficult conversations and picking up on the words that mean you don't really have the job yet. Right, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So if you hear, you know, please send me your proposal, Mm. you don't have the job. I think, you know? Yeah, exactly. I I, I think the pitching process is always yeah it can be a sort of necessary evil for like emerging creatives i think yes that's that's the hard part yeah Uh, but yeah it's such a it's such a fraught you know process and i find often with pitches 
the briefs are really loose, mm. which is kind of scary. So you might be just interpreting a brief your way without actually having a proper conversation about it first. So you're, you're not really setting yourself up for success. Mm. Mm. Um, that is so important. Yeah. And I think yeah. also when possible, if you really need to pitch, you know, understanding who you're pitching against as well I'm, is always yeah. a, a, an important thing I'm such as well. a fan on that because it's not that I say no to all free pitching. It's that I decide based on knowledge what I am going to free pitch and what I've not. Some of the things that we've free pitched for have led to long, decade-long relationships and they've been worth it. And, you know, jump how high I'll jump, you know. And I think yeah. what you're saying now about, you know, finding out who's who you're working against, there'll be, if there's four people pitching, two of them aren't even in the running. One will be an up-and-comer yeah. and one will be someone who's probably in a slightly different industry who they think, oh, they might bring a bit of difference to it. And then there'll usually be an incumbent and then there'll be someone who's doing amazing stuff. Mm. So the incumbent is always usually the favoured one unless there is a mood for change. So I do a lot of work and I say to people, if I'm going to give you two weeks of my creative work and a free pitch situation, I would like you to be transparent about who we are tendering against. Mm. And I think that's a fair question. Absolutely. And from that information, I can decide if I want to go down that path. If I feel that the incumbent is going to get it, I actually won't waste my time. But if I feel like there's a mood for change, I will do everything in my path to keep it. And at the same time, if I'm the incumbent and there's other people, I will you know, die trying to get that work, you know, but I won't do it all the time. Yeah, I'll do it yeah. when it's necessary and when it means something for our business. And I think that took me a really long time to learn that. Yeah. And it's such a valuable lesson for any anyone in business as well. Exactly. The other thing, you know, to look out for is onerous contracts. All you really need to know is that every contract you sign, it's your fault <laughs> and there will be um, crazy onerous risk attached to you, send it to a lawyer and all you're doing is minimising risk. Right. So once again, you know, speak up for what you want, especially in um, payment terms, make sure that they're suitable for you. And there are retailers out there who manage small business differently, you know, to how they would a large business. And I think it's up to you to speak up mm -hmm. and say, this is what I'd love. And there's you know, nice ways you can say that. You can say, this is how we're structured. This is how we work. We're agile. We're small. We'll attach to you. But you need to pay us in 30 days. Yeah. You know, so I feel like if you can speak up and work out a nice way to have those, as we said, those uncomfortable conversations, mm. you can make it work for you. Yeah, and that's... I feel like eventually, you know, you'll only be pitching on some of the stuff, but not all of the stuff. And I yep. think that's a... Very happy day. Mm, I think that's really great advice. So to end our conversation today, Ross, you know what I need from you, don't you? I need another quote. Yep. Okay. <laughs> what is it? So this one's an interesting one. I love this quote and I remember it was actually up on the wall at Clemenger when I, when I worked there in, in sort of the, in the form of, a, of an art piece. So the quote is, if you're not confused, you're not paying attention by Tom <laughs> Peters. And I, I kind of just I love, kind of don't get it. Explain. Yeah, it's kind of, it, it, well, exactly. It's, um, it, to me, it sort of talks to balancing the information. I, I, I can be a bit of an overthinker. So I, I know when I get, 
you know, when I start really deeply thinking about um, things or issues, then I get really confused because then you start understanding what you don't know know about it, and then there's a whole kind of world of um, you know of, of pain there. So it's about you know um, paying attention, but sort of managing managing your thoughts and probably not paying too um, uh, too much attention to the things that you can't change or the things that could potentially throw you off course. You know, I think. Weed them know. out. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And, um, you know, I think conspiracy theorists are probably a good example where they're probably just overthinking <laughs> scenarios. So, yeah, there's, it's, I just find it such a wonderful quote. It kind of talks to the joys of simplicity as, as well. I love it. I love it. Thank yeah. you so much for being with us today. Um, Thanks for as having we, me. More amazing wisdom for everyone who's listening. I hope that everyone who's listening, um, you know, can drink from that fountain of wisdom there. (laughs) Thank you. So much fun. Thanks for having me. Thanks, Ross. See you next time.